0: Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Take your Bibles to go with me to Mark chapter number 12, the book of Mark. In chapter number 12 this morning, Mark chapter 12. If you don't have your Bible with you, there should be one perhaps in the back of the seat in front of you. Maybe in the back of the seat behind you, you'll find a copy of God's Word. And I would encourage you to pick up that copy and follow along with us. Mark chapter number 12. And you're going to find your place, verse number 18. Mark chapter 12, verse number 18. And I'm going to invite you, if you're willing and able, to stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's Word. Mark chapter 12, let's stand together. Out of respect for the reading of the Word of God, we're going to read verse 18 down to verse number 27. Mark chapter 12, verse 18 to verse 27. Find verse number 18, it's the small number there, that's the verse. Mark chapter 12, verse 18. And then, come unto him. The him there, of course, is Jesus. He's in this series of engagements and conflicts with the religious leaders of his day. So then come unto Jesus the Sadducees, which say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him, saying, Master, Moses wrote unto us that if a man's brother die and leave his wife behind and leave her no children, that his brother should take his wife and raise up seed unto his brother." Now, there were seven brethren. The first took a wife, and dying left no seed. The second took her and died, neither left he any seed. And the third likewise. And the seven had her and left no seed. And last of all, the woman died also. Now, in the resurrection, here's their question. In the resurrection, therefore... When they shall rise, whose wife shall she be of them? For the seven had her to wife. And Jesus answering and said unto them, Do you not therefore err? That's that's a way of saying, look here. That's a way of saying, you are wrong. You're in error. Do ye not therefore err because ye know not the Scriptures, neither the power of God? He says, you're wrong, and the reason you're wrong is because you do not know the Scripture, and you do not understand the power of God. Your ignorance of the scriptures and your underestimating of the power of God has caused you to err, to be wrong in this matter. Notice what he says, he goes on, verse 25. For when they shall rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as angels which are in heaven. And as touching the dead, they that rise, have ye not read in the book of Moses how in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, The God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Ye therefore do err greatly. I, I want to make sure we're very clear on something. This is not a real story. They're coming to Jesus and they're asking Jesus a made-up story. You ever had a a dream and when you woke up in the morning it felt so real? How many of you ever had that dream? I have these recurring dreams often. I wake up, something happened between a man and I, I'm really angry at her and I'm grumpy about half the day with her. And she'll eventually go, why are you so upset with me? I'm like, ah, oh, you did this yesterday. She goes, no, I didn't. Yes, you did. You did this yesterday. She says, that was a dream. You made that up in your own head. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I, it was me then. Okay, I apologize. You ever had a dream so real? It felt real, seemed real. This is not a real story. It's a, a made up story because they're trying to catch Jesus in a trap. And you're going to see that in just a moment. This is not a real story. This is is unlike a woman by the nickname of Arsenic Annie who was arrested in 1954 in Tulsa, Oklahoma for killing her husband. Investigators discovered after they arrested her that she had poisoned 11 people, including five of her husbands. Later on, they found out that she shot another one, six of them. She was right here with this lady right here. That was a real story. This is not a real story. It's a made-up story in order to catch Jesus in a trap. What are the lessons for us in this? Why, 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 does, why, do, why do Mark, why does Matthew, why, why do Mark, Luke, all three of them record the same event, why, why do they find it necessary to record this? And here's why. Because they're teaching us something about understanding the power of God. And that if you do not understand the word of God, you cannot understand the power of God. That is the whole point of this. If you do not understand the word of God, what God has promised to you in his word, then you cannot understand the power that is available to you, not simply in eternal life, but in this world right now. So that's what we're going to see this morning with the Lord's help. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Use your word in our lives. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Take note of this. You have an outline. I want you to follow along with me. Take note of this. This is first a hypothetical problem. This is not a real story. This is a hypothetical problem that the Sadducees have brought to Jesus because they do not understand the scriptures. And their failure to understand the word of God, they have underestimated the power of God. So let's look at the hypothetical problem. Here's the problem. They say in verse 19, Master, Moses wrote unto us. So so Moses gave us a law. And the law is this, that if a man's brother die and leave his wife behind and leave no children, then the brother should take the wife and raise seed up to the brother. So this is in the law of God. In fact, if you want to know where that law is, that's in Deuteronomy chapter number 25. That if a woman got married and her husband died before they could have children... ...in their day she was in a very terrible situation. You see, first of all, the importance of family support in this. That the the children are to be caring for those who have brought them into this world. It's on us as children to honor our parents in the Lord. Because this is right, the Bible says... This is, this is important, this is an important thing to understand. That she's left without children, she has no husband, she's in a very difficult situation because there's likely no man to come along who would now take her to be his husband because she has been someone else's husband. And so the law in Deuteronomy 25 provided by Moses said that if the man had a brother, that the brother could take her to him or the next closest family member could take her to him and could raise seed to his, the honor and the, and the legacy and the memory of his brother who had had this woman to be his wife before. You want a, a good illustration of this? You can think of the story of Ruth and Boaz. Do you remember them in the Bible? So... Ruth is married, her husband gets sick, dies, there's a terrible famine in the land. And then this one by the name of Boaz, who's an extended family member, hears about Ruth, sees her, falls in love with her, and wants to take her, wants to buy her to himself. And he pays the price in order to do so. This is a similar situation. He's, he's exercising the law that Moses had given in Deuteronomy 25. And so the, the hypothetical problem is, here is this woman who's been married, it says in verse 20. And, and, and her husband's died. And now she's, now she's left to herself. And, and the first brother dies off, the second brother takes her. Look at verse 21. The second took her, he died. He didn't leave any seed either. And then look at verse 21, the end. And so a third brother. And then the seventh brother. All all seven brothers. Look, you think someone would have looked into this woman's cooking. You think someone would have just said, perhaps we should just keep her out of the kitchen for a little while. I'm not sure. It's a hypothetical problem. It's It's not a real problem. They present this hypothetical problem, and I'm telling you why. Here's why. Because they want to reduce the truth. So here's the question. She had seven husbands. So when she gets to heaven in the resurrection, to whom will she be married? Now the story is not intended to, prov- to find an answer. The story is intended to reduce the truth. What is the truth? That there is a resurrection. There is life after death. And yet that's not what they're, that's not what they want to talk about. They want to present to Jesus this hypothetical problem. And they're saying, answer this question. They're not asking the question saying, I will submit to you in whatever answer you give. They're not asking the question saying, we will listen to you about whatever truth that you will give us concerning the resurrection. They are asking the question with their mind already made up. Mark tells us that. Look at verse number, look at verse number, look at verse number 18. The Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection. So their minds are already made up. They already have a belief about this issue. So they are not coming to Jesus and asking Jesus, tell us the answer and we will submit to you about the truth regarding this answer. They've already made their minds up. They have decided that no matter what Jesus says, they are going to reject it. They do not believe in life after death. They do not believe in the resurrection. And what they do is they do know that Jesus has preached about the resurrection... They've heard Jesus talk about his own resurrection. In fact, three times in the study of Mark in these last several weeks, Jesus has mentioned that his resurrection, that he will rise from the dead. And so they stand in front of Jesus with a hypothetical question. But listen, it's a hypocritical attitude. It's a hypothetical question and it's a hypocritical attitude. Because they do not really want to know the truth They're not genuine seekers of truth. No, for them, there is no resurrection. I will tell you this. There are many people in our day who live this way. They live as if there is no resurrection. Most people live for the moment. Their motto is eat, drink, be merry. Tomorrow we die. And they cannot see past that. For them, there is no thought of eternal life. There is no thought of eternity with God. There is no thought of resurrection. There is no thought that we spend millions and millions and billions of years someplace other than right here. For them, they only live for here and for now. They live for everything right now. That's all they can see. That's all they can think about. So they do what they want, when they want, how they want. Because they have to do it right now. Because there is no eternal life in their thought processes. They've reduced the truth. They've rejected the belief that one day all of us will stand before God and one day all of us will answer for the things we've done in this life. They don't want to think about that. They simply want to live life according to their own terms, on their own way, and they want to reduce any truth that would come along that would upset that. I want to show you this too. Not just that their hypothetical problem is an attempt to reduce truth, but their hypothetical problem is an attempt to ridicule Jesus. You'll remember that they've set themselves to scorn Jesus. They want people to reject Jesus. And, they, and they've tried to catch Jesus in all kinds of, of traps. But Jesus is too wise for that. He sees their heart. He knows their intention. And many times they've asked Jesus questions and he hasn't even answered it. He just completely avoids the conversation. This is what he's doing here. They want to they catch Jesus because they want to try to discredit Jesus... They want to make Jesus look foolish so that the crowds will turn on him and reject him. They will reject what he is teaching. They will reject what he has said. They will reject the things that he has done. And the Sadducees think they have him on this. Jesus believes in the resurrection. Let's ask Jesus this question. Crazy hypothetical question with our hypocritical attitude in order to expose Jesus to everyone who's watching, and in order to discredit him, they are, they are about to be gravely disappointed. Because Jesus says, "No, I'm not going to talk about your I'm not going to talk about your hypothetical question. I want to talk about your heart." Look what he says. Look at his answer. Jesus says, no, let's talk about your heart, verse 24. Do you not therefore err, because you know not the scriptures nor the power of God? In other words, Jesus says, no, 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 we're not going to talk about this made-up problem. We're going to talk about how you are wrong. And you are wrong because you have not understood the scripture. You have not done what the scripture calls you to do. And you have underestimated the power of God at work in you. What's interesting is Matthew records the same account. Luke in chapter 20 records the same account. Luke goes on to add Jesus says that you should beware of those who devour widows' houses and make long prayers. This is what the Sadducees were doing. They rejected the scriptures, they denied the power of God, and they took advantage of vulnerable people in their world. They devoured the widows' houses. They took advantage of those who had no one here to watch out for them. And Jesus says you should be mindful of this, that there are those who are devouring. They're only using people for their own gain because they do not understand the scriptures nor the power of God. Beware. Beware of giving men or women authority to speak into your life. Who in the end they have a mouth that does not line up with their life. They talk the talk, but they do not walk the walk. So their hypothetical problem is a secondary issue to Jesus. Jesus says, here's the real issue. The issue is you have not given your heart to God. This happens in our lives. We may feel God speaking to us, calling to us. We may feel God asking us to trust him, to step out, obey him. And we find it difficult to do this. Why? Because, because we haven't fully understood the scriptures. We haven't, we haven't with an open and full heart said this is the word of God for us. And so instead of stepping out and trusting and obeying and submitting to God in all areas of our life, we find some issue that we think we have with God. The, the role of men and women, for example. The issue of Our sexuality the way in which we want to use our bodies, the things in which we want to do with our lives, we find an issue. We say, well, this doesn't line up with the way that I think, so I'm going to reject everything else that God may be saying. We do this because we know that if we submit to God in one area or the other, then God and his spirit will begin to work in our heart and begin to transform every area of our lives. See, we don't want to yield to God in this area, so we yield to God in no area. We don't want to give this to God, and so we give nothing to God. And Jesus says, you do err. You are wrong in this. Why? You are wrong because you have underestimated the power of God. And you, are, you have underestimated the power of God because you are ignorant of the word of God. And so we decide not to follow God. Notice, second, it's not just a hypothetical problem, but notice, second, the power of God. The power of God's promise. And here is God's, here are the promises of God. The promises of God are found, notice verse 24, because ye know not the scriptures. You know not the scriptures. And since you do not know the scriptures, you do not know the power of God that is available to you in the scriptures. You could apply this to a lot of areas of our lives. You're going through a tough time. You find yourself in a difficult situation. You're reacting badly to that tough time. It's probably because you do not understand the scripture or the power of God. You do not understand what the Bible says. How that God is powerful enough or loving enough or thoughtful enough or wise enough to do anything about your situation. So Jesus is going to bring these boys right back to the word of God. He says, you want to understand the power of God? You will understand the power of God in the word of God. You will find the answers that you are looking for in this life in the word of God. This is why you ought to spend time every day in God's word. When we say you will find the answers that you need in this life in the word of God, that is not to say you will open the Bible and the Bible will tell you what job to take. Or the Bible will tell you what city to live in. Or the Bible will tell you what person to marry. Well, it's either Susie or Sally. Which one? Uh, Oh, look, it's Susie. I landed on Susie. No, that's not how it works. The Bible doesn't give us specifics in this way. But the Bible gives us the principles that we need to know in order to navigate the situations that life brings our way. In the scriptures, you find these principles and in understanding the principles of God's word, how we deal with our struggles, how we deal with our fears, how we deal with difficulty or, or, or relationships, how we deal with our worry, how we handle our money, the way we think, the, the, the thoughts we have, the way we use our words. When we find the principles of God's word and apply them to our heart, then the word of God leads us in a way that causes us to understand the power of God in our lives today I think it's interesting Jesus doesn't say well look it doesn't really matter what you guys believe about this just as long as you're sincere he doesn't say that Jesus doesn't say well you know we, 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 all, we all don't agree on everything we have some little disagreements along the way but we agree on most stuff so let's just focus on that no Jesus doesn't say on that Jesus doesn't say, well, I respect your views. Everyone is entitled to his opinion. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, no, you're wrong. My wife has a great saying. She says, opinions are like armpits. Most people have a couple and they stink. Jesus doesn't say any of this. Jesus says, no, no, no. He speaks authoritatively. He says, you do err. You are wrong. Why? Why? Because you do not know the scripture and you underestimate the power of God. You are ignorant of the word of God. And so you underestimate the power of God that is available not just in eternal life, but in your life right now. Here's the issue on this. Most people think they understand the scriptures. You, you ask most people, do you, do you think you know what the Bible teaches about? And you fill in the blank. Most people will answer you yes. Yes. This is why we have to have a spirit of humility as it, re- as it relates to God's word. It is, it is quite possible for you to know a lot about the Bible, but to not actually know the Bible. It's quite possible for you to be able to memorize lots of verses in the Bible, but not know the truth or the power that the Bible makes available to us. You know this, that even the devil quotes the scriptures? Even the devil knows the Bible. But he does not accept. He has already rejected the truth that the scripture presents. He is in the situation that the Sadducees are in. They have their mind already made up. So notice two things. They underestimate the power of God. Notice he says, verse 24, Neither the power of God. Neither hath, here's what Paul says, Neither hath entered into the heart of man... ...the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. Jesus is saying that the power of God in raising you from the dead... ...is going to raise you into a new dimension of living... ...of which you cannot possibly fathom here in this life. You are thinking of the eternal life in terms of the natural order... You are thinking of the supernatural in terms of the natural. What what is part of the natural world? Marriage is a part of the natural world. It's necessary for our world to be able to continue. We have to marry. And in a dying world, you have to marry so you can have children. Otherwise, we're going to be all gone. But in the resurrection... You never die. So, their their question applies to this life right here. Why? Because that's all they could see. That's all they could understand. That's all they could think about was the natural. They could not think about the supernatural. So, they underestimate the power of God in working in supernatural ways because they are looking at the Word of God through a natural lens. And in looking at the word of God through a natural lens, they are ignorant of the word of God. And Jesus says it like this, you have ears to hear, but you do not hear what the spirit is saying to you. And so he calls over and over in the gospels, even get to the book of Revelation. He calls over and over, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Hear what? Of course I hear the words you're saying. No, no, no. Don't just hear the words. Hear the truth that is being declared and find yourself submitting to the truth that is declared from the word of God. So they wrongly assume that life after death is like life before death. And they are wrong in assuming this. You, you either read your Bible with your mind made up or you read your Bible in order to make up your mind. How do you read your Bible? You either read your Bible with your mind already made up or you read your Bible in order to make up your mind. How do you read the Bible? You read your Bible wanting to know what God has to say to you? And Jesus shows us that our confidence in the scripture increases our confidence in God. It increases our confidence in the plan of God, in the purpose of God, even in the power of God. That as we are confident in God's word, we will be made confident in God himself. And our confidence in God, in His purpose, in His plan, in the things that He is doing, in His power, in His promises for us, that our confidence in Him is increasing or decreasing based on our confidence in the Word of God. Can I tell you, friend, here at First Baptist Church, we are confident in the Word of God. God's Word is enough. That's why we preach the Bible the way we do. Next chapter, next verse. Why? Because the Bible is enough. The Bible is enough. It gives us all we need to know. That in the scriptures, you find, Peter says, everything that is necessary for life and godliness. Everything you need to know about the way in which God wants you to live in this world right now and the attitude that God asks you to possess while you navigate the circumstances that you find yourself in, you will find in the scriptures. The Bible may not tell you everything that you want to know, but the Bible tells you everything you need to know. It may not tell you all that you want to know, but the Bible tells you everything you need to know about life and godliness. Are you reading it with your mind already made up? Or are you reading it saying, Lord, make up my mind. You show me and I will yield and submit and obey you in it. Let me give you the third. Notice the present reality with God's plan. Okay, so here we go. This is where some of you are going to get mad. You're going to tune me out, but listen to the end because the words are in red. They're not mine, all right? Look at verse 25. Jesus says, For when they shall rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. You cannot think of eternal life, supernatural life, in terms of Of natural living. In heaven. We neither marry. Nor given in marriage. But are as the angels. Which are in heaven. And as touching the dead. They that rise. Have you not read in the book of Moses. How that in the bush. God spake unto him saying. I am the God of Abraham. The God of Isaac. The God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. Here's the present reality with God's plan. Heaven Eternal life are indeed God's plan for all his children who have come to him through a knowledge of Jesus Christ. So Jesus tells, tells them the two things. He says, first, you're wrong about marriage. He says, you're wrong about marriage. Notice verse 25. In heaven, we neither marry nor are given in marriage, but instead we become as the angels. I want to make sure very clear. He is not saying we become angels. We do not become angels. We are not angels. We're we're definitely closer to fallen angels if we are on any team there, okay? We're not angels. We're the children of God. The angels are not the children of God. The angels of God are not the children of God. The children of God are not the angels of God. We do not become angels. We are like them. So, so how are we like angels when we get to heaven? Well, let me give you a couple ways. Here's one way that we'll be like the angels when we get to heaven our entire existence will be defined by our worship and service to God. Angels exist to proclaim God's glory, that's all they do. They obey God completely, they obey God joyfully. And what Jesus is saying is that will be us in heaven. Our existence will be to proclaim the glory of God and we will worship God completely and we will worship God joyfully. That is what we do when we get to heaven. So we will be like the angels in that our worship of God and our service of God will be full and complete. Second, we will be like the angels in that we do not die. Angels do not die. Nowhere in the Bible can you find the record of the birth of an angel, a little baby angel being born, or a record of a funeral for an angel. You don't have any of that in the Bible. It don't exist. So in heaven, we will not die. We will be like angels. We do not die. No more death. No more funerals. This is not a part of our existence in the resurrection. That's what he's saying. And third, he says we will be like angels in that we will not be married. We will neither marry nor be given in marriage. Now, watch. If you hear that and it makes you a little bit sad and you think, baby, it won't be heaven if me and you aren't together. I'm just going to take a time out in the sermon and let you say that to your wife right now. Get a little brownie points. In heaven, you and I are together forever. That's my understanding. If that's how you feel, oh, well, that's sweet. Let's all say it together. Oh, sweet. Now, if you hear in heaven, you're not married nor given in marriage, and you think, thank the Lord. We have marriage counseling that is available for you immediately following the service. Here's what he says. In heaven, there'll be no need for marriage. So we have to remember why God gave us marriage. What is is the reason, according to the Bible, remember? We're reading the Bible to make up our minds. We're not reading the Bible with our mind already made up. What is the reason in the Bible for marriage? Well, if you want a good understanding of that, Ephesians chapter 5, that's the answer. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul writes to the church, and Paul writes and tells the church, marriage is a mystery. What's the mystery of marriage, Paul? That it's hard? No, everyone knows marriage is hard. That's not a mystery. What's the mystery in marriage? The mystery in marriage is that it is actually a picture of Christ's love for the church... That husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved us. How did Christ love us? He willingly laid down his life for us. He initiated a love relationship with us. If you love God this morning, it's because God first loved you. And how did God first love you? How did God demonstrate his love to you? He demonstrated his love to you when he sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sin. And so husbands are to love their wives the way that Jesus loved us. It's a picture. It's a picture of Jesus' love so that people look at your marriage and they think about God. But it's not just husbands love their wives. It's also another commandment in that. And here's the commandment. This isn't going to be popular, but it's in the Bible. We either read the Bible and make up our minds, or we've already had our minds made up when we read the Bible. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. That's what the Bible says. So the wife yields, she submits, she gladly, joyfully follows the leadership of her husband. And when people see this, what what do they recognize? They recognize that this is the way that we as the church, we as Christians, this is the way that we submit and follow God, that we yield to him that he is the groom and we are his bride and we will gladly follow whatever way in which he leads us in his word. This is the great mystery of marriage. This is the picture of marriage here. And Jesus is saying in heaven, you will not need that picture. Why? Because your faith will be made sight. It will be made sight there. Let me add an understanding here in in heaven my my relationship with amanda your relationship with your husband or wife it will not be worse in heaven it will be far better that is what we must understand it will not be worse it will be better and the reason it will be better is because there in heaven there is no more selfishness there's no more pride there's no more arrogance there is no more sin. There is no more hurt. There's no more suffering. No, no, I will not love Amanda less in heaven. I will love her more in heaven. I will love her more fully in heaven. And the same will be true for you or your husband or your wife. No one will get to heaven and think, oh, I wish I was married. No, that's, that's looking at a supernatural living With a natural lens. And the reason we do that. Is because we are ignorant of the scripture. And we do not fully understand everything that God has available for us there. Heaven is cheap in our minds. Heaven is cheap. The best life we could ever have. This is how most people think the best life we could ever have must be right now. And so I'm going to live for now. I'm going to live for my pleasures here. I'm going to live for my desires here. I'm going to live for my wants here. I'm going to live for me right now in this moment because this is all I have. And most people never think, not even for one second, about the life to come. They never for one second stop and think, no, 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 life There is going to be infinitely greater than anything that we could ever imagine here. He says, you are wrong about marriage. And he says, second, you are wrong about the resurrection. That's what he says in verse 26. As touching the dead, they that rise. Have you not read in the book of Moses how in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Jesus quotes a passage of scripture right back to the Sadducees. Romans chapter 10, Paul says it like this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. You see, believing that God raises from the dead is an essential part ...of understanding what it means to follow Jesus. Notice what he says. He quotes to them a passage. It's it's Exodus chapter 3. That's the passage he quotes. He says, have you not read in the book of Moses? He says, go back to your Old Testament. Look in Exodus 3. Here's what God said to Moses. God said, I am the God of Abraham. The God of Isaac. The God of Jacob. He uses the present tense. Watch. Not I was the God of Abraham... I was the God of Isaac. I was the God of Jacob, but they've died, so I'm no longer their God. No, he says, I am the God. It's a was versus am. If God was their father, if God was their God, and then they died, that would mean that they are no more. But he says, not was, am. I am their God, meaning they're still alive. And this is what we believe as Christians. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To not be here for the believer is to be there. And we do not simply cease to exist No, if you've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, the moment you've taken your last breath here, you will take your first breath there. And what will life there be like? It will be full worship and service of God. It will be complete and joyful obedience. It will be life like the angels. Our faith will be made sight all of the struggles and the worries and the hurt, they will be no more there. Why? Because you are in the presence of God there. I am the God. He also says this. Look at the verse. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. If he is their God, what are you saying to Moses? I will be your God. If he was their God, what are you saying to you? Is he will be your God? Is he your God? Have you made the God of the Bible your God? You see, the only way you can make God, the God of the Bible, your God. Is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says this. No man comes to the Father. No man gets to God. But through me, Jesus said. The only way to Him. The only way to God. Is through Jesus. And people try all kinds of other ways. They try morality. They try good works. They try religion. But none of these things... ...can get us to God, and do you know why? Because none of these things can take away from us the thing that has separated us from God. What has separated us from God? Sin. For the wages of sin is death. Our sin separates us from God in this life right now. And if we die in our sin, we will be forever separated from God in eternal life in a place called hell. So what do we do about that? Well, Jesus came to deal with our sin. He is the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And how does he take away our sin? He takes away our sin by providing rescue for us from our sin. That he took our sin upon himself. ...so that you and I could have his righteousness. This exchange happens the moment that we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He takes your place on the cross. He suffers your death. He goes under your wrath, the wrath of God that was poured out on your sin. He does that for you and you receive in return the righteousness of God over you what Martin Luther called the great exchange. It's the greatest exchange in the world. My sin, my unrighteousness laid on Jesus and Jesus' righteousness and holiness laid on me. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, the Bible says. This is the only way to make God yours. It's the only way to be brought into his family is to believe on the lord jesus christ and be saved the only way to deal with your sin is by making sacrifice for your sin jesus is the greatest sacrifice ever given for sin have you believed on jesus I'm not asking you if you're religious. I'm not asking you if you go to church. I'm not asking you if your membership has been in a church. I'm not asking you if your daddy or your granddaddy was a grandpa or a pastor. I'm asking you if you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you not know the scriptures? Do you not, do you not understand the power of God that is available to us? Let me give you this last one. We've got to get out of here. Jesus is telling us this. Death does not end your life. You must understand this. Death does not end your life. You can, through Jesus, have life after death. It is not just in the New Testament that you find the doctrine of the resurrection. You find the doctrine of the resurrection all through the Old Testament. Places like Job 19, Psalm 16, Daniel chapter 12, just to name a few. Promise of life after death runs through the Bible beginning to end. There is life after death. And I am asking you, in this life right now, are you just living for this moment? For here, for now? Or do you see the few brief moments that you have in this life as a way to prepare for the life to come? We spend this long here. We spend forever someplace other than here. Are you living your life for here? Or are you spending your life in a way that you are prepared for there. The Bible says there's a way to live your life. You can save up for yourselves treasures on the earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. You can live your life for the approval and the pleasure of men here, and you'll have your reward. People will see the good works you'll do. They'll clap for you. They'll tell you you're such a good guy, and that'll be the end. You can live your life for now, or... You can realize the resources, the strength, the energy, the freedoms, the time, the life, the breath, the relationships, the city in which God has planted you. You can see all of these as a way to live for eternity. As a way to use them, to store up for yourselves, not treasures on the earth, but treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust thus corrupt. Where thieves do not break through and steal. No, 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 friend. Let us live our lives. Not for this long self-expression for 70 or 75 years here. Let us live our lives for there. For then. When the power of God is fully known. How do we do that? one way is we go to God's word and we read it to make up our mind. We do not make up our mind and then go and read it. One way we get ready for that life there is if you have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ today, make that today. Believe on the Lord Jesus and according to the Bible, you will be saved.